They don't move our mind, Father. We live free from anxiety and fret, Father. Because your name still rules in the earth, Father. So we live without fear, Father. We live without dread. We live with a mind of victory, Father. The waves and the wind still know your name. All the creation still bows at the name of Jesus. Father, there's not a spirit of the enemy that doesn't respond and bow to your name. There's not a mountain or a tree, Father, that refuses to bow to your name. So, Father, our souls are at peace. We live in divine peace. In fact, Father, you said in your word that the peace of God guards our heart and our minds. Father, we see the ravages of the world and the insanity of the, the pro progress of sin. And yet, Father, we will not be moved. And not only, Father, will we not be moved, we will advance your kingdom. Father, you declared in your word so many years ago that you sent your son into the earth to destroy the works of the devil. And you've handed the commission to continue that work to your church. Father, we're not supposed to hide and to be afraid of the sin, Father. We will confront it head on, Father. And the sin that destroys people, Father, we will destroy that very sin. And the people, Father, that have been harmed by sin, we will restore them to full reconciliation to you, Father, and show them your love and compassion. Father, we will stand strong against sin. Your name, Father, cannot be moved. It is given, Father, for us as a weapon to destroy the works of the enemy. So we will engage, Father, in the realm of the Spirit. We will engage, Father, with a voice of faith. And Father, we will stand firm against it. We will not yield one inch, Father. And you will have all the victory, Father, and all the glory, Father. Father, we thank you. We are the church of the living God. The great and mighty one lives on the inside of us. We carry the name of Jesus, Father, into every battle. Without fear, Father. Without dread. Father, for we are at peace. It is well, Father, with our soul. We are not despondent. Father, we haven't given up the fight. We will stay secure, Father, in your word and by your spirit. Father, we thank you for great victory in our lives. Victory in our personal lives, Father, and victory in helping those around us. We will see the salvation of God. And Father, we will, as your word declares, we will even snatch people from the very fires of hell and show them the everlasting goodness of God. Thank you, Father. You are the good God of Israel. You are the good God of the earth. And Father, you have shown yourself good in our lives. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, Father. Every step I take, Father, every place I go, I will leave and deposit goodness and mercy, Father. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father, that we will carry your goodness and mercy into the world. Father, we will show them the contrast of their sin versus your goodness. And Father, people that are intelligent, people whose hearts have been longing for you will see the goodness of God and will yield to the goodness of God and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Father, we thank you. Lord, we give you all praise and honor for these things. We thank you for the Lord in Jesus' name.
Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? You know, He is good. Amen. And, you know, if, if uh, we could just show the world how good God is, that's half the battle right there. It's amazing the thoughts that people have about the Lord and He's hard and He's unkind and He's judgmental and all these things. And all He wants to do is help us. Amen. Uh, and um, He just wants to be good to us. And, you know, of course, He has a prescription about how to get good to us. You know, sometimes that, that, uh, that rebellion that resides in the hearts of all men, you know, that because of the sin nature, sometimes wants to buck up about it. But the, the thing, if we can understand that it's not God trying to just get us to do things to hold us back, to constrain us, whatever. Uh, the things that he tells us not to do uh, is because they will harm us. Amen. Uh, it, it's, you know, um, growing up, uh, uh, everything that we had cooked was in, was in lard, right? Anybody remember lard, right? Big buckets of lard, right? And, um, and, and doctors said, you know, came along and said, you know, you might want to just back off a little bit on that, you know? Um, and, and of course, it tastes pretty good, right? And I'll, people keep, keep like bowls of lard on their countertops, right? Because, you know, bugs won't go near it for a thousand years, right? It'll sit there, you know, still be lard a thousand years from now. Uh, and so, you know, it's, uh, well, yeah, it does taste good, but, you know, there's probably other things that might be better to eat, you know, than a bucket of lard, you know? And so um, it's not that uh, they're trying to withhold anything good from you. There's plenty of good things in the earth, you know, that... Uh, uh, that you can still eat, amen? Uh, and so the thing that, that we have to get set on our hearts is that God is on our side. And the things that he prescribes to us in his word and by his spirit are for our benefit. They're, they're not to hold us back or to, to, you know, to constrain us. They're to bless us, to in, increase us, amen? And uh, I'm fully convinced of that and from his word, amen, uh, in, in my own life. And so the Lord is good, Amen. Uh, and so let's open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. We have been uh, going through the, um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount a little slower than Jesus did, you know, but, um, uh, but that's okay. Uh, I, don't, I, I suspect that there was much more uh, discussion in the Sermon on the Mount because it was, you know, over uh, many days uh, here, the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, I'm sure we got just the highlights here. Uh, and so we have been studying uh, on the topic of divorce here that Jesus mentions in verse 31. And so I thought it'd be good just to read those two verses again. It says, It hath been said that whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Uh, and so we, we talked about, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as Jesus was spending time on the earth in his three and a half years on the, on the earth as a minister, you know, he's kind of in that in-between uh, time frame, right? You've got the old covenant that's been around for thousands of years, but he's got a new covenant that he prophesied about, even Ezekiel and different places, that I'm going to put my spirit in you. Well, the spirit of God wasn't in the people at this point in time. So he's kind of, Jesus has, has got the job of transitioning the world into this, into this new covenant. Uh, and if you remember, we mentioned something about John chapter 4 not long ago when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And, and he said, salvation is of the Jews. And it's always the plan of God that the nation of Israel were the caretakers of the promises of God. And they were going to take those promises and go into all the world and tell all the world that, yeah, we, we, are, we are the Jews. Uh, we are the nation of Israel. But God wants all of the world now in his kingdom. And they missed it. For the most part, they missed it, right? At least all the leadership, for the most part, missed it, you know. You had these ragtag fishermen that were Jews, you know. Uh, they, they went on and carried the gospel. You got a couple of Pharisees along the way. Nicodemus, you know, and, and a few folks like that. Paul was a Pharisee. You know, a few people made it uh, across the, the finish line there. Uh, but that was always the intent that the Lord had, had the Jews to, to do this, to go into all the world and spread the gospel, Amen. Uh, and so he's trying to transition us uh, to, that, to that new mode of thinking. We talked about some of the other ones. But in this particular verses, uh, he's trying to, to bring constraint back in, into, into the nation of Israel because they had expanded the idea of divorce of just, if it's Tuesday, you know, I'm just, you know I, just, I don't feel it, you know. Uh, and that, that, was, uh, that was really an affront to the whole concept of, of marriage. Uh, and so... Uh, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. 
you know, in, in understanding these things, uh, Jesus really left the explanation of what the New Testament marriage understanding is supposed to be. He left that really for Paul to, to kind of flesh out for us. And so uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, it's kind of a good uh, summary of these things here. And um, uh, so I thought it'd be helpful just to, to read this because what I, what I want to do here is to, if we can understand why is divorce even a thing? Why is that a, you know, uh, why is divorce a concern for the Lord, right? Because we'll, we'll read a verse in, back in Malachi where uh, the Lord says he hates divorce, right? Uh, and, and so, but, but why is that such a big deal, right? Why does the Lord make it? Because he has quite a bit to say about it, right? He talked about it in Matthew 5. He talked about it in Matthew 19. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 17 or 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, Malachi talks about it. The Old Covenant talks about it. Deuteronomy 24 talks about it. There's a lot of, lot of uh, doctrine and a lot of scripture about it. But uh, small wars are fought in the church related to divorce, right? Do you ever notice that? Uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and just real quick, we'll come back to Ephesians 5. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's find out, you know, why, why is there a war going on in the church? And th- this is really why. Uh, because it says here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 2, it says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, and of good behavior, given hospitality, apt to teach. Uh, and he goes on, talks about uh, the same thing. Um, uh, well, not quite the exact same thing, but uh, similar things for deacons. Uh, but the, 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 the key thing is here, the husband of one wife. Now, now Jesus was talking about back in uh, Matthew 5 that, you know, if there's an, an adulterous situation that, you know, you can get a divorce, right? Uh, but, you know, over in Matthew 19, he said it was never meant to be that way. It was always meant to be that when you, when you get married, it was always to be forever, right? And really, it can be forever. And, you know, people say marriage is so hard. Marriage is the easiest thing in the world, right? The hardest thing is dealing with yourself. You know, the hardest thing in my life is not dealing with my wife. A lot of, a lot of husbands would say the hardest thing in my life is my wife. Uh, that is surely not anywhere close to truth, amen? The hardest thing you'll ever deal with in your life is what you see in the mirror, amen? And if, if everybody would deal with what they see in the mirror uh, and deal with the level of selfishness in, in their life, marriage is easy, right? Now, it takes two people to be in agreement, right? Amos said uh, that how can two walk together unless they be in agreement, amen? So you have to have two people to be in agreement to, to live that way, yeah, and that's the only way it can be successful, right? If one person is 100% willing to walk in love yeah, and, and reduce selfishness every day and the other person is not, you're never going to get there, right? Uh, and so, you know, marriage is, uh, the, is a, uh, a situation where you have to choose that I've got to focus on myself as far as me being selfish uh, or not being selfish, amen? Uh, and if two people are willing to do that together to focus on themselves instead of, well, when we get married, I'm going to fix him. You know, a lot of women go into marriage thinking they're going to fix him, right? And, um, uh, and a lot of husbands get married thinking it's going to be just like, you know, before they were married, right? And, and well, reality sets in and, you know, then you have to live, amen? Uh, and so, um, no, the, the, you should go into marriage thinking, okay, Lord, how can I fix myself? Uh, you know, over the years I have uh, many times talked to the Lord about my wife. And uh, I have found that he has not one time ever hooked up with me and me gossiping about my wife to him. Right? Hey, Lord, can you fix her? She's a mess. Uh, and he never responds, right? He, he always says, uh, let's talk about you first. Well, Lord, I didn't come to talk about me. I came to talk about her because I'm perfect, you know, and she needs a lot of help. Uh, and that was always my attitude, right? Uh, and uh, he would never, not a single time. And I just gave it up as a lost cause. It's like, well, he just, I guess he just doesn't want to help her. That's what I figured, you know, uh, but... No, it, it's, it's I'm the one with the problem, amen? Because he'll, he'll be like, well, why'd you say that? You know, why'd you do that? Why'd you have that thought? Why'd you have that attitude? Well, Lord, I don't want to talk about me. Uh, and, and, you know, I've been married 33 years. Without exception, the Lord's never one time ever allowed me to talk to him about my wife. Now, I could pray for her, the Lord bless her, increase her, give her wisdom. You know, he, he always hook up with that. But if I say, Lord, uh, can you fix that in her life? Just silence, just crickets, nothing from heaven. Uh, now, if I'm just praying for her, to, for the Lord to bless her, and he'll always hook up with that. Uh, but um, uh, if I even hint of that, 
he'll just start listing all, all of my issues with them. And so, and it's never, been, it's never been anything different than that. So this is really the issue in the New Testament about uh, there must be the husband of one wife. Uh, but, you know, the thing about the Spirit of God and the Word of God is you have to look at the whole counsel of God because if you only pick out one verse, you're going to get yourself shoehorned into an idea and a concept that doesn't fit with the whole counsel of God because how does, how does uh, 1 Timothy 3, 2 fit with what Jesus said that what if, they, what if it's an adulterous situation? But it says right there, uh, now if Jesus, if, if it's an adulterous situation, you know, you can get divorced. Can you get remarried? Well, you can get remarried if, if uh, she, she commits adultery. Of course, that, in that situation, it was specifically the woman committing adultery. But, you know, can the man commit adultery? Well, sure he can. But the, 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 neither the Gospels nor the uh, Old Covenant say what to do in that situation. But surely it's the same situation, right? Uh, the Lord's not going to say it's okay, it's okay for the man to commit adultery uh, because the issue, is not, the issue is not the adultery. The issue is the violation of the covenant. That's the issue, right? And so regardless of who's, who's violating the covenant, uh, you know, if, if the other person wants to do something in relation to the violation of that covenant, well, then, you know, that, that's fair. Now, it, it, even if a wife commits adultery, are you required to get a divorce? Could you recover from that? Could you... Could the wife come back and repent and say, well, you know, I, I did it uh, 100%. Nobody made me do it. I did it. I chose to do it. But I've repented, and, and if it's okay, I'd like to stay together. You know, that's perfectly fine, right? Is there anything wrong with that? You know, nothing wrong with, with that, you know. Uh, there should be opportunities for repentance and, and recovery and restoration of people, right? Galatians six one says to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, amen. Uh, and so... So this is the issue right here. But the problem with, with uh, saying that this is, means that you can never be divorced, that means that uh, then Jesus was wrong. That means that Paul was wrong, right? Um, and and that, that it doesn't hardly fit. Now, uh, again, to preface this you know, whole discussion, many times when you teach on the subject, people say, well, you're giving people a license to divorce. And, and we're going to see from Ephesians chapter 5 why that's not true, right? We're not giving anybody a license to divorce. But does life happen? Life happens, right? Things happen. People are selfish. Uh, and sometimes Christians are selfish. And sometimes Christians won't do what they have to do to, to make it work. Amen? Uh, and so uh, it's, it's worth the work to do it. You know, I, I am a much better person being married than I, I, I can't imagine the person I would be if I wasn't married. If I didn't have to focus and face my selfishness every day. Now, I can't imagine how selfish I would be without that. Now, some people can do that, right? Some people have that ability. Uh, but I'm thankful that uh, uh, the Lord has put uh, my wife in my life to help me overcome myself. Amen? And so, um, but, uh, so that, that's 1 Timothy chapter 3. So that's really the issue. But, uh, but Jesus said, you know, if they, if they get, um, uh, if there's adultery, then they can, they can, uh, they can get a divorce. So does that mean that person is, is can't serve for the can't serve the Lord ever again? Just real quick, let's turn over to First Corinthians chapter seven, and I'm just kind of going with the flow here. It's not really in my notes so much, but um, over in First Corinthians chapter uh, seven, uh, Paul talks uh, nearly the entire chapter about marriage and divorce, uh, and so uh, it says here in um, uh, verse thirty-nine. Let's start, start there in verse forty-nine. It says. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But as, if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. So that's the, that's the ideal, right? Two Christians should be married, right? Now, is this person is this person married a second time? I mean, it, it says she. But if her husband be dead, she's at liberty to be married to whoever she wants to. So she can be married a second time. Well, that would, in the legalistic standpoint, would violate First Timothy chapter three, right? Husband of one wife, you know, or the wife of one husband. And what if, what if the situation turned around? Could it be that a husband uh, has a, a wife that dies early uh, and he's a widow? Could he remarry? He could. But does that violate 1 Timothy chapter 3? Well, some legalistic people would say that would violate 1 Timothy 3, right? Husband of one wife. He's no longer the husband of one wife. He's a husband of two wives. But really, uh, 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is, if you put it in the context of the whole word of God, it's talking about being married to a single person at a time. Because even in the old covenant, you know, it was always intended to be married to one person. But how many wives and concubines did, did uh, Solomon have? Like 300 wives and 700 concubines, right? 
Man, that's a lot of shoes to buy. That's a lot of birthdays to remember. Amen. Uh, and uh, just think when, when uh, dealers would have a shoe sale, uh, you know, Solomon would just shake his head like, well, there goes, you know, uh, lots of gold and silver right there. But so, you know, the, the, they had gotten out of whack, right? They'd get really got out of balance in those things. And so, you know, the Lord and through Paul was trying to bring that back into balance that, uh, uh, and we're going to see here again from Ephesians why that's the case. So, you know, if you look at First Timothy chapter 3, it really should be the husband of one wife. Now, look, if, what if they just, you know, uh, just get married to divorce all the time, married to divorce, married to divorce? Well, there's other things they're going to deal with, right? They're not going to fit all the other requirements of First Timothy 3 to be a leader in the church. So it's, it's not like that's the only failing they've got. I can guarantee you if they, if, if they don't uh, consider their marriage covenant very uh, sincerely, they've got other issues they need to deal with. Amen. Uh, and so, but uh, really the issue is, uh, it just depends. You've got to look at every circumstance, every situation differently, right? Uh, and so, uh, and also in 1 Corinthians uh, 7, if you go up and look at uh, uh, verse 27, it says, Are thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Well, uh, what does that mean? Are you married? Then don't, be, don't try to get divorced. You know, some people, as soon as they get married, try to get divorced. I don't understand that, right? Uh, and it says, are thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. So if you're divorced, are you, what does that mean? Are you loosed from a wife? What does that mean? Are you divorced, right? Are you divorced from a wife? Are you loosed from a wife? Seek not, does it say what the circumstances was? It doesn't tell what the circumstances are. Seek not a wife. Now, see, Paul, in all Paul's writings... Paul, Paul is of the opinion that, look, uh, if you can stay not married, that's ideal. Because we're not going to go through all the details there, but in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about how, you know, if you got married, look, you've got to deal with somebody else, right? I mean, before I was married, I'd get up. If I wanted to eat, you know, cold pizza for breakfast, man, cold pizza it was, right? If I want to eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich, you know, three days in a row, no problem, right? I mean, now, you know, if we eat one, one place, you know, uh, in a week, uh, we can, hey, can we eat there tomorrow? Well, we already ate there once. I mean, it's like, well, it's okay. Twice in a no, you can't do it, you know. I'm like, well, you know, I could, eat, I could eat a sandwich like every day for a year, right? It wouldn't bother me a bit, right? Ramen noodles for lunch, no problem, right? But you get married, it's like, you know, you want, you're going to eat ramen noodles again? Well, yeah, what's wrong with that, you know? And so, you know, you get married and now you get somebody else that, you know, there's somebody else in your life, you know? Uh, and they don't want to eat ramen noodles every day. They don't want to go to the same restaurant twice in a month, right? I mean, I don't know why, but, you know, twice in a month, it seemed like it'd be okay, but no, it's not okay. Uh, and so Paul said, look, you're going to have things to deal with. Uh, he said, you'll have trouble in this world, but he just means that you've you got things to deal with. You've got somebody else to deal with. You know, if you're by yourself, well, I'm just not going to eat. I mean, how many times you just not eat when you, you were single, right? Just, I'm busy and talking to eat, you know. Uh, and I know when we got married, you know, like, I gained like 10 pounds of meat because I'm eating every day, right? Three meals a day, every day. And, and so, so they're just things you've got to deal with, right? And when you got married, and not, they're not bad things, they're just things. And Paul said, look, ideally, if you could just spend your time as a servant of the Lord, that'd be perfect. But, you know, he said it's fine to be married, but Paul wasn't married. Uh, and so, of course, uh, you know, one minister got up and said, because um, uh, Paul one time said that Timothy, he called him his own son in the faith, right? So this one minister who didn't really know much said, well, you know, look at the poor Paul and his wife Silas, you know, and their son Timothy running around, you know, can't do anything. And, and so <laughs> he didn't really have to study the word that much, you know. Uh, but um, uh, Silas was not his wife. Silas was, was his friend, right? Another fellow minister. Uh, and so, but, uh, so, so he said in verse 27, if you're, if you're married, then don't seek to be divorced. If you're, if you're divorced, then don't seek to be remarried. But he said, but if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. So he's, in, in the context of what he's talking about, he's talking about the person who's just been loosed from a wife. But if you've been, if you marry, it's not a sin. So how does that, re- how does that reconcile with anything else? Amen. Uh, again, are we giving a license to, to be divorced? No, there should never be a license. Is it? Two sincere Christians should never have to ever face divorce. But have, have cr- Christians ever faced divorce? Every day, right? I mean, the, the divorce rate in the church, you just, the, the last statistic we read was about 34%. In a, in a uh, you know, church about like ours right uh, a church that believes in faith 34 percent. that's pretty high it means one out of every three divorces one out of every three marriages will end up in divorce people who believe god who love god now in the world out there it's about 50 percent. 
And they say that if you get married one time, that the second time, the, the, more, the more marriages you have, the more likely you are in the second marriage to get divorced. And if it's the third one, even higher, right? And, and I think it went to three or four. Uh, and you would think it'd be the other way, right? You think, well, okay, I'm going to focus my second marriage. I'm going to really change. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, there's the, the statistics are against you. Uh, now, look, they're just numbers. You can choose to live however you want to, right? You can choose to live by faith every day, amen? Uh, and so, so now let's go over to, to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. So, uh, so what's the deal? Well, Jesus is giving us some insight here, uh, what he talked about in Matthew 5, and then uh, Paul really gives us uh, some understanding here uh, about, uh, about what's going on. So, and so Paul really gives us the insight of marriage. Uh, and so he said in, um, uh, in verse 31, so this is uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So, of course, the Lord gives us a prescription here. Right? Marriage is between a, a single man, a single woman. Right? Not two men, not two women. Not one man and two wives. Right? I mean, there's shows on TV right now. Right? One man and two wives. Right? Uh, and so... Um, but, uh, uh, and, and here's why. He said, this is a great mystery. Uh, and uh, that gives me a lot of hope because I have wondered for a long time, how do we get through this thing, right? It's a great mystery, right? And so, uh, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Uh, uh, and so, so the, the deal is, uh, I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he just talked about marriage, you know, man and a woman is like Christ and the church. And this is the whole point of the understanding of marriage is that our relationship as the church between us and the Lord Jesus is a covenant relationship. How did we become a Christian? Did we become a Christian because we came to church and sat in a chair? No. Did we become a Christian because we joined a church? We are a member. I've been a member of a church for 23 years. Is that how we became a Christian? Is that how we became a covenant member of the house of Israel, the house of God? No, uh, we became a covenant member of the house of Israel because we made a declaration with our voice that we chose to accept the Lord Jesus. And that's the key of understanding why marriage is important because the Lord wants marriage on the earth to be a, a replica, a reflection of our covenant agreement with Him. That when we joined ourselves to Him uh, through a covenant agreement, that that is what he wants marriage to be a reflection of. And that's why marriage is so important to the Lord because when we see marriage on the earth and we see an ideal marriage, right, where a husband will give his life because, in, in fact, it says there in Ephesians chapter 5 right there, that uh, verse 25, husband, love your wives. There's never a verse where it says wives love your husbands. So does that mean they're off the hook? No, they're not off the hook. But... He always put the, the greater uh, responsibility on the husbands to love with the agape love uh, their wives because Jesus is the greater one in our relationship and he loves us unconditionally. Uh, and so the whole point of the marriage is he wants the marriage to, for us to demonstrate marriage to the world that marriage is an ideal marriage is how God sees the world and how he wants to have a covenant relationship with us, a, a bound for eternity uh, covenant agreement with us uh, and that it's not a light thing it's not a small thing uh, and so just real quick turn over to uh, Romans chapter 10 and we know these verses but he says here in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth on the righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation so this is how we become a child of God. This is how we become part of the church, right? He said that the, that the mystery is that the covenant agreement we have with God is reflected in the covenant agreement we have in the marriage. And he said it begins with a declaration of a, of a vow from our words. We declare, I choose to believe that Jesus is my Lord. I choose to believe that God raised him from the dead. So there's no other way to get to be a Christian, is there? Uh, church membership is not sufficient, right? Just going to church is not sufficient, right? Reading your Bible is not sufficient. You know, having a crucifix in your house is not sufficient. Amen. You have to make a covenant vow with the Lord. 
And that's what marriage is. Marriage begins with a covenant vow that you made to another human being on the earth. Amen. And that's why, you know, there's a lot of ideas about, well, marriage is, well, if I love them, it's marriage. No, that's not marriage, right? There's no covenant vow in that. Well, if I have sexual relationship with them, you know, uh, that's marriage. That's not marriage, right? Uh, Paul talks about you can join yourself to a harlot. You're not married to a harlot. You know, you can just have physical relations with a, with a harlot. You know, you know, that doesn't cause you to be married. So a lot of people have a lot of weird ideas, but the Lord's pretty simple, right? It's, it's a covenant agreement that two people make is a reflection of the covenant agreement that we have with the Lord Jesus, and that's what marriage is. So it's not hard to understand. It's not difficult. It's not, it's not even controversial. But the, that's why divorce is such a big deal for the Lord, because it's a breaking of a covenant agreement that you made with somebody on the earth. And when we get into the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, he goes right into it and starts talking about oaths. And the reason he, he talks about oaths right after he talks about marriage and divorce is because those two are connected. Amen? Uh, and so, uh, so in the, and that's really, uh, in, in that discussion there, uh, if we can understand uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and understand why did the Lord make such a big deal about this? You know, why is marriage such a big deal with the Lord? Why did he even create marriage, right? You know, uh, dogs and cats, they don't have marriage, right? And go have dogs and cats and, and puppies and kittens. There's no marriage, right? You don't, you don't have any marriage. In fact, you know, most, most female dogs are just real loose, right? I mean, they're just, you know, uh, just loose women, right? Uh, running around and just getting, you know, having babies everywhere, right? And we don't think anything about them, right? But there's no, there's, no, there's no covenant between animals. Amen. There's no covenant agreement with them. They're just doing what they do, right? And, and, and sometimes in the world, we want to diminish our lives to be just like the lives of animals. Right? That we're no different than them. That if we just want to have physical relations, we just have physical relations. And, and, you know, the Lord prescribed it, that he set it up this way because it's a reflection of the covenant that we have with him. Amen. And so, you know, I can't, overemphasize that enough because uh, there, there's so much there's such an attack against marriage in, in the world right there's such an attack against marriage uh, because uh, the world hates covenants right the world doesn't want you to, to, to commit to anything amen the world wants to destroy the work of God and see the Lord placed marriage specifically in the earth because he wanted to show us from a natural perspective what his covenant agreement is with us. You know, he's never going to divorce us. Amen. He's never going to commit adultery against us. He's never going to violate his covenant agreement that he's made with us. Amen. Uh, and, and that's the ideal marriage, you know. And for me, I'll never violate my covenant agreement with my wife. Amen. In fact, I, I was uh, reading my, um, my vows uh, that I made, Chris. I pulled up my, 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 my uh, wedding ceremony from 30 years ago. Uh, and I thought, well, this is really short, you know, and I'll just read it because it's really, uh, uh, you know, I thought this would be like a really long, but I thought, because I wrote them, and I thought, wow, I bet it was a lot of stuff. It was, wow, I could have done better than this, but, um, but my pastor said, uh, asked me, said, do I take Chris as my wife, as my own flesh, to love her even as Christ loves the church? See, that's, that's the agreement, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? So, it, again, it's all about the covenant. It, it's an agreement. Uh, to protect her and care for her and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life for the rest of your life. See, she's a fellow heir. That's what, what 1 Peter 3, 7 says. She's a fellow heir, right? An equal heir of the grace of life. She's not beneath me. She's not below me. She is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Uh, and I said, I would, right? Uh, will you then make this confession of faith to her? I join myself to you, Chris, according to the word of God and the strength he gives me to be a husband for you from this day forward. We shall be one. That was it. That's pretty simple, right? Uh, that was the whole, the whole covenant agreement. But it was a vow that I made, a covenant vo uh, vocalization of what I choose to do. Right? Nobody made me do it. I chose to do it. So, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people think, well, marriage is just, you know, being with somebody for a long time. They, time and distance equals marriage. Time and distance doesn't equal marriage. And, and, and so we're not mad at anybody, but, but, you know, we've got to follow what the word says because it's a big deal. The Lord made it a big deal that this is equivalent to, it's a reflection of the covenant agreement that we have with him from a spiritual standpoint is, is how he wants marriage to be displayed on the earth. Amen. Uh, and and uh, I didn't read it, but I'll just I'll read it here. From Malachi 2.16, it 
where it says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away, or he hates divorce. For one covereth violence with his garments, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. The Lord uh, hates divorce. But it doesn't say the Lord hates people that have been divorced, does he? And yet, people that have been divorced get so much flack from the church. And they're blackballed and blacklisted and, and, and talked about. And, and look, you know, uh, there, there's one of two scenarios, right? Either it's your fault or it's not your fault. I mean, you know, it's, it's, there's only two ways it can go. Sometimes, you know, uh, the spouse walks out the door. And, and what'd you do, right? Uh, what, uh, I know with uh, Dr. Red Dufresne, he was, he was married and uh, had a couple of children and had started a church in, in, uh, in Denver, had a thousand members in his church. And one day his wife walked in and said, I've never loved you, I'm leaving. And left, just left. And, you know, uh, could, I mean, could he have known? I don't know, I guess he could have known. You know, but uh, sometimes people put on a front and, and they act like one way and, and, you know, and people can change for the better. Sometimes people change for the worse. And, and, and so... Um, you know, it just, it just happens. I know when Chris and I were first started dating, she told me, she said, I'm never getting married, which seems kind of the pointless to, marry, to date her, right, if she's never getting married. Because, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of the end game, right? The end game of dating is to kind of, kind of get married. She's, I'm never getting married. And, you know, uh, I, uh, I won her over with my charm, I'm sure, is what happened, right? Uh, but, um, uh, but he wasn't at fault. And I, and I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people that have been divorced that it wasn't their fault. The spouse just walked out the door. Well, what are you going to do in that situation? Is that person blackballed forever? Is that person, uh, did that person commit an infraction against a vow? They didn't commit an infraction against a vow. The other person did. Uh, but what if, you, what if you were the one who caused a divorce? What if you were the one who either committed adultery or you walked out the door? Is there no recovery for you? Is there no repentance for that? Is that the unpardonable sin? You know, it surely can't be the unpardonable sin. Now, we don't just excuse it like any sin, right? Do we just excuse any sin? We say, it's okay if you sin. No, it's not okay if you sin. But is there not, how, do we, how do we complete Galatians 6.1 to restore such a one if there's no restoration available for a divorced person? doesn't make any sense, right? Is restoration available for everybody except for a divorced person? You know, I don't understand... You know, when we, if we look at the whole counsel of God, you can't, you can't say the divorce will put you in a category that's unique to every other child of God, that if you've ever been divorced, you are no longer allowed to be used of God. That just, it's crazy talk. I, I just never have understood the, found, the biblical foundation for that mentality. I understand that they start oftentimes with 1 Timothy chapter 3, the husband of one wife, but Paul, Paul there was options in Paul from his writings in 1 Corinthians 7, even with Jesus, when he said, you know, if, uh, uh, if the spouse commits adultery, you can get a divorce. Sure, that implies they can get remarried, right? Uh, and, and those things. And so, but, so why does God hate divorce? Well, he hates it because it's a breaking of a covenant agreement that you made with a person on the earth. And, he, and God is a covenant God. He wants us to, to establish covenants with each other. You know, and some people are so afraid to establish covenants. You know, I mean, when... When, when uh, after Chris and I got married, we started having children. Well, I had an automatic covenant agreement with my children that I'm their father. Uh, and, you know, I didn't break that covenant with them. And, and you can ask them uh, in all the years that, uh, that they were small children, did, did we ever lie to them? You know, lying would be a breaking of a covenant with them. Uh, and there was an inherent covenant because of our relationship uh, in our family. And so, so uh, in all of those things there, uh, God wants to know um, God wants us to know that covenant agreement of marriage is equivalent to uh, our relationship with Him. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, just real quick, then um, let's turn to John chapter four. And you know, we we got to be careful about this because in John chapter four, um, we know this story here, and. Um, I'm in John chapter 5 there. So Jesus comes to, uh, now, now they're in Samaria, right? So they're not, they're not in, uh, in Jerusalem, right? They're, they're, uh, in Samaria, the Samaritans were people that uh, typically had uh, one 
Israeli uh, spouse as a parent and one uh, non uh, or Gentile uh, parent. And so they were considered half-breeds. So they were kind of looked down upon by the, by the, uh, the Jews, which is weird because the law of the Old Covenant says there's an opportunity for people who are not Jews to come into the household of Israel, right? And in fact, it says if they do, if they choose to come into the household of Israel, then there'll be one law for them, same law as everybody else. Uh, and, and yet, uh, they never got that particular memo there. Uh, and so here, you know, this woman here uh, was at uh, the Samaritan woman, and he starts talking to her. In verse 7, he says, uh, Jesus said, give me, give me to drink. It says, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou being a Jew? Ask a drink of me, who, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with, with Samaritans. And so she just thought it was odd that he even asked her to give him some water, right? And why? Because historically, the Jews were against the Samaritans. Now, was Jesus against her? He wasn't against her at all, right? He treated her like anybody else. Why? Because she's a human being. Amen? And she has a right and a privilege to become a member, if she chooses to, become a member of the household of God. Uh, and if we use our, our biases against the natural aspects of people, then, then, then we'll pick and choose. You know, it took, it took the, even after Pentecost, right? Uh, Jesus came, even after the cross, even after Pentecost, in, in Acts chapter 2, it was 10 years or more from G- when Peter finally got the, the, uh, the vision of the Lord bringing down the sheet from heaven in, in Acts chapter 10, uh, where the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And not, nothing unclean, you know, has touched my lips. Lord, I'm, I'm special. And the Lord said, don't say what I've created common or unclean. And it was, a, it was an allegory for the world, right? Because even at that point in time, they still thought the world was unclean. And they finally went to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. And, it, and Peter's friend said, hey, what are you doing? You, you're a Jew, you can't go over there. And Peter's like, I preached to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them. I, you know, if God's going to give them the Holy Spirit, I guess it's okay for them to come in too. But that was, you know, they missed it. For 10 years, they missed it. They, they should have known that the day they, they received Jesus. He said, go into all the world. He didn't say go into all the Jewish world. He said, go into all the world to preach the gospel. You know, they, they knew from the very beginning that they should have, but they, they just acted like they didn't know. And they finally, they finally figured it out, but it was slow. I mean, it was so slow, right? It was Acts chapter 9 when, when uh, the Lord finally got a hold of uh, uh, Paul. Uh, and so, so did, was, did Jesus know this woman was a Samaritan? Well, surely he did, right? Uh, and he said, uh, in verse 10, he said, If thou knewest the gift of God, who is that, that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So now he's ministering to her, right? Now he's, he's, he's preaching the gospel to her. Now she doesn't have any clue. What are you talking about, right? You ever try to preach the gospel to them and they don't know what you're talking about? Well, you know, welcome to the world of Jesus too, right? The woman said, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw water, draw with. The well is deep. From whence then hast thou living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus said, whoever drinketh of the water of this water shall thirst again. So natural water. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So now he's preaching the gospel to right? The new birth, right? The, 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 the well of water springing up into everlasting life is the new birth, right? So he's, he's telling her, here's how you get born again. Drink of the water. He's the water. In fact, he's, he says, if he knew... Uh, the, uh, the gift of God that, who's talking to you, you would have known that. And of course, she's still, she's still not very bright, right? The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come h- hither to draw. She's still thinking natural, right? He's trying to get her over the line, but you know, you know some people just don't get it, right? Some people are just a little slow. And so she, he, but he's, he's patient with her, right? Uh, and so he, he changes gears. He changes tactics here, right? Because he's trying to get her to understand, I am the living water. He's trying to get her to understand, I am the Messiah. And she, she's not getting it, right? So, so he changes gears, or he changes tactics here. And he says, go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and whom, whom, thou, hast now is, hast, whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saith thou truly. So, uh, so th- now he's really going to condemn her, right? Because she's had five, she's been married five times, and she's the, one, the man she's with now is not her husband, right? 
Uh, and so, does having a man make him your husband? No. I mean, but, but did he condemn her? No, what's he doing? He's preaching the gospel to her. He's trying to get her across the line. Amen? And why, why did he even bring it up? Because this woman here, I love, I love her response. Now, all she said is, I have no husband. And he said, well, you've had five husbands, and the guy you've got right now is still not your husband, right? Just because you're living together does not make your husband. Uh, and, and, and she said, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. That's the first time she got a clue, right? First clue she's actually had. Before that, kind of clueless. Right now, you know, you could tell me my, my, what's in my mailbox. You're probably a prophet. Really? You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist for this. But at least she's moving along. She's, she's getting there, right? And so, you know, now of course... Uh, she wants to change gears a little bit because it makes her a little uncomfortable there. But our fathers worshipped in this mountain and say, you say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Uh, and, you know, uh, did, he, did he press it? Did he go on and, and t- tell her how terrible she was for being married five times? Did he go on about all the covenants that she'd broken? No. What, what's, he, what's his goal? His goal is to get her into the household of faith. Amen. The goal is not to condemn her for her past. The goal is to get her into the household of faith. Amen. Uh, and so, so, you know, she changes uh, topics there a little bit uh, and says, Woman, uh, believe me, the hour cometh uh, when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. For the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, and I know, so she's getting closer, right? Because now she says, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Now, it's rare that Jesus ever declared that he was the Messiah. Rare. I mean, exceedingly rare. And yet he told this woman, the Samaritan woman, been married five times, uh, a secret that most people didn't know. Uh, it, even the disciples didn't really understand it fully. And yet he tells this woman at the well, been married five times and living with somebody, that I am the Messiah. Uh, and so uh, it goes on there and the, the disciples come. The woman left, went to the city. Come see a man, verse 29, which told me all things that ever I did. Is, is not this the Christ? Uh, and so she, did she finally get it? She finally, she finally understood he was the Messiah, right? And that was his goal. So, yeah, a lot of times we bring up a woman, 12, you're married five times, you know, living with somebody, still not her husband. Uh, and it, it's a, just a, a small aside to what was the goal of Jesus, was to get her to believe that he's the Messiah, right? And, and so what should we do when we know people have been divorced? Get them to believe that God loves them, amen? Get them to believe that God still uh, desires to be good to them. Isn't that what Jesus was doing to this woman right here? Did he ever condemn her? Uh, now, look, uh, you... Uh, no doubt, you know, of course, she's not saved here, right? So there's a little bit different scenario there, but in the church. But even in the church, is there not restoration? There surely has to be restoration, amen? Because otherwise, then, then we picked a single sin that, uh, that we've said that if you commit this sin, there's no restoration for a sin of divorce. And we say, well, it's because you're, you violated your covenant. How many times have we violated a covenant with the Lord? Lord, I promise I'll never do that again. And the next day we do it, right? I'm never eating chocolate cake again. And we, we stop by the store and get a Twinkie, right? A chocolate-covered Twinkie, right? Uh, I mean, how many times have we not done what we said we would do? Didn't we say when we got saved, Lord, I confess you as my Lord? How many times have we taken over lordship of our own lives back from the Lord? Lord, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Well, then you violated your covenant agreement with the Lord. You said he's your Lord, but you're not going to let him be Lord in that, in that area of your life, right? Whatever the thing is. Is that not a violation of the covenant agreement with the Lord? Now, only you and the Lord know that, for the most part. But is that not a violation? of? Is that not even a greater violation than uh, a violation of covenant with a human being? That when you violate your covenant with the Lord? Surely that is, right? And yet, we get along every day. Amen? Uh, so, the, the whole point of this is, are we, are we saying it's perfectly fine to just dissolve your vow that you made with another human being? It's not. God hates it. Why? Because it's a... It's an infraction against a covenant that you made with another child of God. Uh, and, it, and it's a poor reflection upon the covenant that we have with him, right? Because our marriage are supposed to be a reflection of the covenant that we have with him. Amen? That we said forever, Lord, uh, you're my Lord. And on this earth, on this natural earth, forever, you know, I will be my wife's husband. Amen? 
forever. Uh, because I want my, my, my marriage to be a reflection of the covenant that I made with the Lord. Amen. But um, if, if uh, in other situations where people have had to get divorced, there has to be some play because the Lord didn't condemn this woman right here. And you think if anybody should be condemned, if somebody been married five times, right? I mean, they, uh, you know, they, well, that's fair. Five times. Yeah, that's fair. You know, it's, it's you know, he didn't condemn her at all, at all. Not even a little bit. Amen. And, and, you know, uh, we don't have time to go over there right now. Well, maybe we've got just a minute there. Uh, we've been here almost uh, two hours, right? It's almost one o'clock according to that clock over there. Uh, over in, um, in John chapter 8, uh, we'll just read here. It says in verse, uh, uh, in verse 1, Jesus went in up to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again in, into the temple, and all the people came unto him and sat down, and he taught them. Now, they, the scribes and the Pharisees hated that. Because he was, he was messing their whole plan up. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery when they had set her in the midst. Now, the, what's, what's, the, what's missing here? It seems like something's missing here. How many people does it take to commit adultery? Well, where was the fella? Where was the guy at? Now, the old covenant says if two people caught adultery, they can be stoned. Right? That's the Old Testament law, Right? Uh, and that's in Deuteronomy 17, if you want to look it up. That was the law. If you're caught in an act of adultery, you can't stone him, right? So they said to the master, they didn't really say he was master, right? It was so, you know, so patronizing. They said master, but they wasn't, he wasn't their master in their heart. This woman was taken adultery in the very act. Well, they spying on her, a bunch of creepers, right? I mean, you know, I mean, would they get a webcam there or something? I mean, what in the world? Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. So why was this an issue? Is that not true? Did Moses not say that, that you could stone somebody? But, uh, but who is the governing body in the nation of Israel right now? The Roman government, right? And the Roman government basically told the, the nation of Jews, look, you do whatever you want to, live however you want to, you, you would have lied, but, but capital punishment, that's only, only we can decide that. Jews, you can't do that. You can do whatever, you, all your other silly things, you know, sacrifice, no, I don't, we don't care. But capital punishment, not allowed to do that. And, and don't you dare do that, right? Uh, and so that was the deal. Because they were hoping that Jesus would say, stone her, so that they can go to the Roman authorities and say, this man over here is violating your law. That was the, that was the temptation, right? They were trying to get him in a catch-22. Because uh, if you say, well, we can't do the law. Oh, well, then this man over here is violating the law of Moses. And if he says, stone her, then they go to the Romans and say, he's uh, trying to kill people. So they thought they had him, right? Of course, Jesus is smarter than everybody, right? My pastor, you say, there's nobody smarter than the Holy Ghost. I always love that phrase there. Uh, this they said, tempting him. But Jesus stooped down. And with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And the, and the great question is, well, what was he writing? He's probably writing dummies, right? Uh, but we don't know. It doesn't matter, right? If it mattered, he would have told us. Uh, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up and said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now, you know, the, you, you know one guy at least thought, okay, I'm going to go get some stones. At least one guy thought that, right? But nobody else moved. And so, you know, mob ruled and, and he, they didn't do it. And they stooped down and wrote again on the ground. And when they'd heard it, it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest. You know, sometimes, you know, as we get a little older, we get a little smarter. Now, they weren't still that smart, but at least they're a little smarter than the younger folks, right? Uh, beginning at the eldest because they would have had to say, I am without sin. And that would have been terrible for a Jew to say that I have never committed a sin. Because uh, that's the whole point of the sacrificial system. Is to do away with their sins. Or they cover their sins. So they went out one, one, one by the eld eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And he said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. So did he condemn her? You know, condemnation is just never appropriate for any sin. Regardless of his divorce, adultery, the church has no business being in the condemnation business. Amen. And he said, I do not condemn thee. But then what did he say? Go and what? Sin no more. Did he recognize that adultery was a sin? Sure he did. 
you know, and to me, this is the great balance the church has struggled so hard to find, is to look at a situation and go, well, that's sin, but not condemn the person who's doing it. Why can't we find that balance? That's the, that's the example that a master gave to us. He said, yeah, well, that's sin right there. Well, you know, am I going to die and go to hell? I, I, I'm not, I'm not the, the, the condemner, amen? People, I can't tell you how many times church will say, if you commit this sin, whatever the sin is, that's going to send you to hell. All the time. And yet, how do you, how do you reconcile that with this right here? Uh, Jesus didn't condemn her. He said, don't go, just don't do that again. Because she was already a member of the household of Israel, right? Uh, and so, all, all she had to do was be restored back to favor with the Lord. Go and sin no more. I'm not going to condemn you. And, and can't we do that with people on the earth that have had failings? You know, people uh, struggle, amen? People don't grow up sometimes. People make mistakes and do things they ought not do. And they get divorced, you know? They get, and they, they're sometimes immature. Uh, and sometimes they just don't know how to get along, you know? I mean, there's a lot of thousand and one reasons why these things happen, amen? Now, can they be fixed? You know, my opinion is there's not a single marriage that couldn't be saved if you're willing to do the work in yourself, right? Because a lot of times people will say, well, tell me, uh, what about her bothers you? That's the dumbest question in the world. First thing I would do is go buy two mirrors. You know, you want marriage counseling? I'm going to buy two mirrors. You, go, you tell me what's your problem, you know, without bringing anybody else into it. Tell me why is it that you're failing as, as, a, as a husband? Tell me why is it you're failing as a spouse, as a, as a wife there? Uh, this whole, t- you know, what did he do that bothers you? If something that my wife does that bothers me, Lord, the Lord always says, you need to grow up. Tells that to me, not to her. Tells that to me. If it's bothering me, I need to grow up. That's what he tells me all the time. Because there's no reason why it should bother me. Don't I have the spirit of God on the inside of me? Don't I have the faith of heaven living inside of me? If it bothers me, then I need to grow up. Amen. Now I may be able to tell her, hey, you know, maybe not do that. Uh, because if it's something that, you know, uh, maybe not, not be done, right? Like, I don't know, leaving shoes there to, to trip over in the middle of the hallway, you know. Yeah, and um, it'd be okay to not do that, you know. But uh, if it's breeding resentment in my heart, then I've got to deal with that. Amen. Uh, and so, you know, Jesus brings to me the balance there, uh, both with the woman at the well and the woman caught in the very act of adultery. The balance is we don't condemn. We don't condemn, you know, um, and, we, and the, the person who's committed any of these infractions, whether it's divorce, the woman at the well, or the woman actually caught in adultery, very active adultery. Uh, and he didn't condemn either of them. Amen. So does that mean that we give license to all of these things? No, we're not giving license to all these things. Uh, and people who say that, it's just a smokescreen for them to stay in their religious legalism so that they can just uh, condemn everybody that is not as spiritual as they are. And it's embarrassing to me as a child of God that people would do that. Amen. Uh, and so there, uh, you should take, if you, if you commit yourself with your words to a human being on the earth, you should consider that uh, as uh, life and death, right? I consider life and death, right? To me, it's just, there, there, there's no end to that vow in my life because in the next section that he talks about, starts talking about your words. And we're going to find out why, why is that important? Why, why we made a vow, why does that matter? Can't we just, you know, it don't matter, you know? We'll find out next week why it matters, right? We can't tell you today, so you have to come back next week. But uh, praise God. Well, let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And, Father, we thank you for the blessings of heaven. And, Father, we thank you that there's no condemnation uh, from you in this earth. If there is sin, Father, there is a, a path for restoration. And, Father, if there's no blame, uh, then there shouldn't be any restoration required, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for these things. We thank you, Father, for wisdom and revelation. We thank you for compassion and and goodness and mercy that you've shown to us. And, Father, we choose to be people who who refuse to condemn. Regardless of the circumstance or situation, Father, we will not condemn. Uh, And, Father, we thank you that uh, your word declares that both by precept and example. And we thank you for that, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? Uh, you know, we, we thank him for his goodness and mercy. Amen. Um, and and um, just real quick, um, Mr. Jerry, I need to pray for you. Um, and um, 
uh, if you'll come up here, I'm going to lay hands on uh, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry, uh, for you um, tell me some aches and pains he was having uh, today there. Lord uh, wants to pray for him. And um, and also, uh, Mr. Monty, if you would help me, the Lord wants uh, you to help me pray for Mr. Jerry there. So, so if you'll come up here, we'll lay hands on Mr. Jerry and get him all healed. Amen. And so he's having some neck pains and uh, muscle pains in his back there. So let's just lay hands on him in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your healing power in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that the greater one lives on the inside of us. And Father, by the direction of your word, we lay hands, Father, on this body. Lord, we thank you that that spirit which resides in me and in Monty, Father, will be transferred into this physical body to effect a healing and a cure. Father, we thank you that the eternal life that lives on the inside of us, Father, we transfer to this body, Father, and all pain is removed, Father, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that it's a law that you initiated. So, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your healing power. In the name of Jesus. Thank you. In the name of Jesus. Greater Father. It's you that lives in me, Father. Greater Father. It's you that lives in me. Eternal life, Father. Everlasting life. Zoe life. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. And Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Mercy, Father. Showing your goodness to us each and every day. We thank you, Father, that we are the healed of God. We have the rights and privilege, Father, to remain healed and whole every day of our life. And Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness, Father. Thank you for your mercy. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Well, is the Lord good? He's good, amen. We appreciate all the goodness that he shows to us each and every day. And um, <clears throat> praise God. I, I just wanted to read a, a verse here I was reading in the uh, book of Proverbs. And, and I also wanted to remind you all, too, um, I haven't mentioned it in a while, but you know, on the back table there we've got a Bible reading schedule. And, um, of course, you can do this online. You can do this with your electronics, too. Um, but um, uh, I, the, the reading schedule there, if you follow it, will let you read the entire New Testament each year. And then we added Psalms and Proverbs in there as well. And, um, uh, and so I'd encourage you, you know, read the book of Psalms, read the book of Proverbs. And, and this is just a, a couple of verses from, uh, from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. It says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And so that's why we give, right? We're, we're honoring the Lord with our substance, with the first fruits of our increase. And what's, what is the result of this promise? He said, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses or bats shall burst out with new wine. Uh, and so, you know, the, the Lord promises us that if we follow his word, there's value in following his word, Right. Now, I, I actually do not own either a barn or a vat, uh, but uh, the uh, implication is there that whatever I have will be prosperous. Amen? Uh, and so, uh, if I do my part, which is to honor the Lord. So, when we give, uh, as we give, what we are doing, we are honoring the Lord. Because really, if you think about, you know, you really exchange, even though it's money that you're giving into the Lord, that's really your life, right? Because you spent time to earn that income. And so you're taking that income that which represented a certain amount of time of your life and you're giving that to the Lord. 
Well, that's an honor, right? It's an honor to the Lord that you would choose to give part of your life to Him. Amen? Uh, and so, and so that's, what, that's what we're going we're gonna to do here. Uh, let's get ready to receive this evening's or this uh, morning's tithes and offerings. Uh, and we talked about the first fruits, you know, that's really your tithe there and your substance there um, is your giving. And so we're going to honor the Lord with our substance, with the first fruits of all of your increase. Amen. Uh, and so there's not an increase uh, that I have in my life that I don't give uh, to the Lord the first fruits of that. Amen. And so uh, come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. So let's do this with honor. Amen. And Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to give to your kingdom. We thank you, Father, that it's an honor to give. And we call it blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, and so next Sunday is church meal, right? Wow. That's, uh, uh, I guess there's Thanksgiving theme, right? And so. <laughs> uh, and um, praise God. Well, we've got to have. Um, it's got to have some turkey next week sometime, right? Turkey and ham and all that stuff, right? So. Um, all right. Praise God. Um, and then. Um, uh, be praying for the folks that are out not well uh, today. We got an update from Miss Mildred. She's got uh, a couple of things going on there that she needs prayer for. So be lifting her up in prayer. And um, um, they're still praying on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays here at the church at 8:30. So if you'd like to join them, you know it's just casual. Just show up if you want to come and pray with them. And then um, 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 I guess they still did it on Friday, right? So. All right, praise God. Well, don't forget we have a healing school today at 3 o'clock, and uh, have a wonderful afternoon. You're dismissed.